All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of On the Move podcast with Move Outdoors. Uh, this is Ryan. We've got Zach and Tyler with us again tonight. Um, so we're going to start off uh, how we've been starting off previously and kind of get into what we've been doing the past week, uh, scouting-wise and preparing for the season. So, um, Zach, if you want to lead us off, how's, how's your scouting been going out in Iowa this week? Honestly, uh, I haven't been able to do a ton this week. Um, work's been been pretty difficult. We had a supplier visit come in. I was working real late the last couple nights and really haven't been able to to get out. I'm hoping to maybe go out and do a little bit of shining tonight after we get off the podcast and hopefully do some recording for the next episode of DIY Iowa, now available on our YouTube channel, Move Outdoors. Um, but otherwise I did a 3d shoot on Saturday. Um, I was able to figure out that my bow is good out to 90 yards. I hit four shots on a Buffalo at 90 yards inside of the Buffalo's 10 ring, um, by IBO standards for the listeners that are really into archery. So that's about an eight inch circle at 90 yards. So I'd say, um, I'm getting ready for, uh, my Wyoming elk hunt here with one of our previous guests, Derek Hart in a couple weeks coming up. It's coming up fast. As far as, as far as getting prepared, shooting for that elk hunt is probably more important than uh, whatever little bit of scouting you've been able to do in the evenings in Iowa. Um, Cause I know you've been seeing some nice bucks on the edge of public, but those patterns, you know, are going to change in September. So it's good to know they're in the area, but, um, I'd say your elk hunt and shooting is probably priority right now, right? Oh, absolutely. Especially since um, I'll be home for your wedding, uh, back home in Pennsylvania for your wedding on the opening weekend of Iowa's archery season. So I won't even be here to capitalize on that first day or two of movement. So uh, I'm mostly just scouting for inventory purposes. Tyler, how was your uh, past week or so? Did you get anything anything done, get anything hung camera-wise? Um, no cameras yet. Um, went spotlighting once or twice. Um, very productive uh, each time. Um, there's about 20 or so deer in the area. Obviously, that's at night. Um, they weren't exactly on the public plot that I'm looking to hunt, but um, there was like, probably about five that were just outside of the border. Uh, the rest were on the neighboring, neighboring uh, public or private land, sorry. Um, but uh, there was probably a good five bucks that I could see. Um, my spotlight isn't bright enough to make out, you know, any uh, features on the antlers, but you could tell they were bucks. Um, that's a good sign. So I probably will hang my camera hopefully this weekend. Uh, Looks like it's going to be a nice weekend weather-wise here in PA, so hopefully I can get some time in this weekend. Yeah, as far as the weather is concerned, I mean, for the first week of August, it's beautiful here in PA right now. We've got uh, lows down in like the mid-50s at night, and the highs are around 80 right now. So the evenings, especially for me this last week, have been really productive. There's deer moving earlier and a lot of uh, a lot of good sign so i was out with my with my camera doing some scouting um one night just driving around and then another night sitting on a piece of private that um, i have access to for rifle season and 
quite a few bucks coming out in the evening. I think not all in the same field that I was watching, but all in all, um, in that area that night, I saw 12 buck and I believe 10 were legal. Um, nothing gigantic, I would say, but quite a few, probably three and a half year old shooters. Um, especially for this area, a couple of nice bucks. Um, I do, I did pull my camera from another piece of public, I think since the last time we, we were on together and it wasn't as productive as we had hoped based on, um, some past scouting that Zach had done, but most of his uh, activity was archery season, rifle season and late season. So that's kind of the, the prime of, uh, scrape activity and, um, running activity obviously so we thought going into it that it was probably a community scrape year round but uh, the camera said otherwise i had a good amount of deer here and there but nothing consistently day to day and only one small buck um that was frequenting that camera during the month of june and july so it could be a mixture of food um, cause I'm sure the deer in that piece of public travel quite a bit cause there's a lot of land that all runs together. Um, but it also could mean that it's not a true community scrape, but I'm thinking probably September, once those bucks get hard horned, it's probably going to pick up again. So I did leave the camera there. I, I replaced batteries and swapped SD cards. So we're good to go as the fall heats up. So we'll be able to bring you another update, hopefully with, uh, a lot more sign uh in in the months to come so yeah i did order um i also ordered two cell cams in the last week uh so i got a tacticam reveal x pro and an exodus rival so uh, i plan on kind of doing review videos and a comparison between the two and seeing which one's really better? They're they're similar price point, so I'm interested in comparing them, particularly in terms of image quality. And uh, how do I want to say it? Missing shots, I guess. Because uh, my plan is to put them side to side or um, one on top of the other somewhere around here on public land and basically see if one camera picks up deer and the other one doesn't or vice versa smart so when you're testing that are you going to have them on the same tree for the same amount of time and do it that way or are you going to no, have I... the same area and just kind of do a do a comparison in general i plan on putting them either on the same tree or on two trees right next to each other at the exact same time and pointing them out over the exact same trail Right. And I think that's probably the best way to get the the most fair comparison um, because different, obviously different factors can impact the cameras, especially this time of the year. I know my camera gets a lot of grass or a tall weed blowing in the wind on a windy day. You can end up with 50, 50 60 pictures during the day. And oh, yeah. all, you, all you've got in there is some blowing grass. Um, yep. So, I mean, that's an interesting comparison, though. I would, I do have um, a couple cell cams of my own. 
but I can't include my Tacticam on that anymore because my dog stepped on the antenna. So no I have way. a working Tacticam. I have a working Tacticam trail camera, but it's not going to be sending me pictures anytime soon. Oh, man, you got to buy another antenna. Right. I think they're like 15 bucks off Tacticam's website. Yeah, I just have to get on get on getting another antenna. But as of now, I still have a working trail camera. I just have to go check it and not be Yeah, it's just not, not cellular. <laughs> Are you still rocking the arsenal of Brownings? I am for the most part, yeah. Um, I have to say, I mean, obviously we are not getting paid by any trail cam company to have an opinion right now, but the Browning image quality on just their standard cams, not even their cell cams, has been my favorite of the cameras I've had so far. Now, they are a little bit more expensive, but I think their entry line is still in like the $99.99 or maybe $119.99 range. Um, but their video quality and their image quality and that entry level camera has video with sound. Um, I have to say that they're, they're my favorite that I have right now. And I have wild game. I have some Moultrie. I have, obviously I have a Tacticam and it was working great until the antenna got snapped off. But, um, out of the ones that I have, I would say Browning's been my best experience so far. You're really not brand loyal when it comes to trail cameras. Well, I, I am and I'm not. If I buy one for myself, it's usually um, a Browning. I've tested a, a couple, a couple other ones that just didn't didn't hold up as much. But re- recently, I've gotten some wild games. Um, number one, because they're cheap and affordable, and Number two, a lot of the time I've been putting them on public and we all know that we can't trust everybody that uh, uses the same land that we do. So if it if it would have gotten taken, it would have been a little bit easier to swallow a, a $50 camera being stolen as opposed to a $100 camera being stolen. So, but can't complain about that quality either. I mean, the pictures aren't as clear, but they do their job. They tell you what's there and they la- the batteries still last over a month for me on those, even with a lot of uh, activity. So, well, didn't Tacticam come out with a recent update um, that includes some more data? Yes, um, a couple of weeks ago, Tacticam came out with a really cool update where now you can enter the camera's zip code that it's located in, and it'll pull weather data the exact second that your camera takes a picture. So like I'm looking at a picture that my reveal sent me of a doe that went by my camera this morning. Um, The camera recorded 64 degrees Fahrenheit, but because of where I listed the camera being that zip code also recorded 66 degrees Fahrenheit, a North wind at a half mile an hour, a barometric pressure reading of 29.97 inches of mercury. It's, daytime sun and a full moon so it's got your uh basic like is it overcast cloudy sunny what is it the moon phase the pressure the wind and the temperature it's really cool and i'm super analytical about my trail camera data um i have like a massive running spreadsheet of trail camera data and filter it out by like bucks does wind direction when they came by 
blah, 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 everything. And this is going to make this so much easier for me because I was spending hours before going back to Weather Underground and double checking that data and trying to find, oh, you know, a deer walk by at 715, but the closest timestamps are 645 and 745. So I guess I'll just average the two winds and two pressures and kind of go from there. So this is this is huge. I really like this update. Well, yeah, because like we discussed before, uh, a, a deer's not sitting there with a calendar and a, and, a, and a clock. There's reasons why he's using trails at certain times, and that's it's going to add to your toolbox and whether or not you can decipher his pattern. For me, one of the surprises, um, I mean, not surprised, because I kind of did a little bit of research before I got them, but I got two Moultrie Delta, uh, I think it's Delta Base, cell cams and that the Moultrie app I have to say has been in my experience a better app than for example what the Browning cell cameras have um, there's a lot more information and capabilities on that app so similarly to what Tacticam just updated to the Moultrie giving you a lot of that same information as well um, now I, I have had some trouble with some regular Moultrie cameras in the past, but I've had these uh, Delta base cameras for about a year now and they've been going strong and I've only, I think I've only replaced batteries in them one time. Um, and actually I haven't tested it well enough yet, but it's supposed to be some, an image recognition system that you can filter your pictures by um, buck, doe, bear and turkey i believe maybe um like i said i haven't tested them well but um i'm anxious to see if that would actually apply right now i've only had pictures of deer um and i haven't tried the buck and doe buck versus doe filter i would assume it probably only works with um substantial antlered buck um but it's just cool that all these all these different camera companies are coming out with a bunch of different updates to uh, to kind of make I don't want to say completely patterning, but for example, with your spreadsheet, Zach, I mean you're able to pretty much decipher. Okay, if you're close to a buck's bedding area and you're getting him every third day, well, why is he on there every third day? Is it because the wind direction is favorable for him on those three days um is it because of other factors is it a barometric pressure system at a certain level that gets them on their feet maybe at four o'clock versus five thirty? um so it's just kind of interesting that it's they're making it a little bit easier for us to track all of this um and especially on on public land that's huge where you can't just sit on the same field and say, well, they're coming out one of these nights. So I, I completely agree. So uh, I just pulled up my camera log right now. We're talking about it. And just to reiterate what you're saying there, um, I have this separated out by total deer activity and legal buck activity. And I'm looking at a specific uh, thicket in a public land patch that I hunted last year. And Unfortunately, I never had a deer in there that I really wanted to chase, but there was a two and a half year old in there that I was hoping would survive. Um, I could have went in there on any southwest wind and killed that buck morning or midday up until noon. 
He didn't come by afternoon ever on a southwest wind, but I could have gone in there and killed him on a southwest wind any morning or midday in October um, before I pulled the camera, which was like October 22nd, I think I pulled the camera. But um, in contrast to that, most of the deer activity was actually on a north wind in the morning. So total deer activity was highest on a north wind in the morning. Legal buck activity was highest on a southwest wind. Morning and midday were even on that. And this is a sample set. This isn't a sample size of like three or four encounters. This is a sample size where um, on north winds, it was a total of 23 deer uh, since I hung the camera, which I hung the camera the second week of September through October 22nd. I had that many deer go by in a north wind. By contrast, the least active that that area was was on a southeast wind. I only had one deer ever come by on a southeast wind, and it was in the evening. I'd be curious to think what's another factor that also is playing a part in that. Like, is it just the wind, you think? Or do you think there is, say, a thermal issue or a barometric pressure issue in that same manner? So that spot, like, backs up against... Um, a pretty good sized body of water and there's kind of a a valley in there and the camera was up on the oh i think it was on the north side of the valley um and most of the deer activity was coming from bedding which was kind of on a point that the valley made as it backed up to the water and coming up past the camera. So I think what was really happening is that they were betting on winds in which, they were betting in that thicket on winds in which the wind was coming through the betting area. Um, and they don't need to worry about anything coming up to them from behind. So in this particular instance, I think wind and thermal were probably the biggest thing. Just when they could use that bedding area to its full advantage, get all the sense. And like I said, the southeast wind is the wind that the absolute least amount of deer used it. On a south wind, an east wind, a southeast wind, and any variation of southeast, even northeast really wasn't that good um, because that's when the wind was primarily blowing from the water out to the... Um, the thicket and that just doesn't have any advantage for the deer because they can't smell anything that's approaching them before it gets there um and they already know that they're not going to have a threat from the water so they're using a different bedding area or maybe even using that bedding area slightly differently and i just didn't have the camera in the right spot to catch their movement when they bedded i don't know say a hundred yards farther away i think what you just said proves a good point is knowing the geography of that plot you better understood your data like your data without actually like if you walked directly to where you put that camera in and walk completely back out without say exploring the area around it you might not be able to put those pieces together so i think it just shows how important it is understanding the area which you're putting your camera in to better understand the data you're getting from it yeah absolutely absolutely and I, th I think that's a mistake a lot of hunters make is they'll just hang a camera in an area uh, because it's on, I don't know, the heaviest trail that they've walked by, but they don't understand or try and figure out even why that is the heaviest trail. Um, and they don't use their trail camera to its its full capabilities. I know a lot of people just hang cameras over, 
you know, they've had this stand in, in this patch of oaks for the last 10 years. And then they buy some trail cameras and stick the trail cameras 20 yards from the tree stand that's been there for the last 10 years, just so they can see what's walking by the tree stand. I like to use trail cameras more of a, of a true scouting tool where I don't tend to put them where I already know, uh, how to hunt a, a certain area. So, um, what I kind of use them for is a lot of historical data. A lot of my trail cameras, I won't even hunt the year that I put them up. I won't hunt that area uh, unless of course I check it and there's a buck that I want to chase, but a lot of them, I, I won't hunt that area. Um, I'll just come through, pick up the camera, get home, check it and go through the data and kind of use that to assist my decisions later in the season. But I'm not going to base a hunt off of, Oh, you know, I haven't had a deer on this camera in two days spots gone cold or um oh there's a i don't know a group of deer coming by every night at eight o'clock i there's no point in me sitting here instead I, i'll say like okay well if they're coming by at eight and they're always coming from the west i gotta go towards the west because clearly they're betting back in there and i need to figure out where they're betting and maybe you blow them out of the betting area but then you know where they're betting and they were successful if they caught you so they probably won't abandon it. It might take a week or two before you get the right wind to go in and hunt it, but then you know that they're there. I think a lot of the time when you're hanging on public land too, you're, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of it is based on access as well. So if there, there could be a heavily used trail next to the parking lot, and that could be a good thing, or it could be irrelevant because it's used at 2 a.m., um, for example, a couple of years ago, Zach, you found a good spot that was kind of tucked away. You you would drive past it on the way to the parking lot, but it was just <laughs> kind of overlooked because everybody walked deeper into the game lands then. But then the cameras proved that there were consistently deer there probably watching people get out of their trucks and walk away just because you're right next to a parking lot or right next to an access doesn't mean you should overlook it. But in that case, all the access was basically pushing back into the property and they were bypassing this little section that was holding deer. Um, and also I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong again, but once you, you had that camera out um, in September and October, <laughs> Um, you had that camera out in September, October. Did you see a change in the deer activity using that area once the hunting season started? Because I know that area gets a lot of pressure. Or was it yeah, pretty, uh, pretty consistent based on the wind, regardless of the hunting pressure? So that situation was actually pretty interesting. It was really consistent uh, based on the wind until... Uh, until about um, probably the second week in November. And I didn't know why for a while until I went in and scouted after the season, but I'll get to that. Um, so the spot that you're talking about is a doe bedding area. It's thick, it's nasty, and the best way for a buck to scent downwind is to walk by where I had my camera. So basically what I was trying to capitalize on is I wanted that camera to sit there um, through the first couple of weeks of November and 
get me information on when does were coming in into heat. Um, so I actually filled my buck tag that year of, I think it was October 29th. And I never got to hunt that because um, I was waiting for the rut and the right wind to go in and hunt it. But when I watched or when I recovered the trail camera and I look back through the data, the deer were always moving on a consistent wind up until the second week of November. Once the second week of November hit, um, I didn't know it at the time, but all the deer activity went cold. The does stopped using the bedding area. I wasn't getting bucks coming by in daylight anymore. I, I didn't know what happened. And then I went in there in late season with you and my dad to do a flintlock drive because I assumed... I kind of assumed hunting pressure caused it and that the deer would come back. Well, the deer didn't come back and they still hadn't been back, at least not the last time that I scouted that, which was um, this past winter doing a drive again with Ryan where um, the deer still haven't returned and it's been over a year. And the reason for that is because the hunting pressure there, somebody set up a ladder stand right on the outside of the bedding area. And I found scent wicks littered around that tree and a couple cigarette butts. And my best guess is that that guy went in there and maybe he shot a deer. Maybe he didn't, but I guarantee you he was hunting it on the wrong because you needed a very specific wind to go in there and hunt it the right way without blowing that place out. And the amount of people sign that was there, there was a beat trail from how he accessed that. And he just kept going up and down and up and down and you could see his access. So he over hunted the spot, blew it up. And it's it's been almost this fall, be this November will be two years basically since that spot blew up. And it's still not back to what it was. Um, when I first found it, because it's just getting too much pressure. I think a lot of people still find a good spot and they're going to hunt it no matter what. And that was kind of how I grew up hunting. I mean, we looked we looked at our rifle hunting spots and we said, "Well, this is this is a traditional spot. It's been a good spot for thirty years. We're going to hunt here every day." And sure enough, I mean, we were successful, but how many days did we also delay ourselves from being successful? How many days did we ruin it where we didn't see anything for three days, but that could have been avoided by just staying out for one, one, two hour sit in the afternoon. So I think recently, probably I'd say the last five or six years, I've really gotten more into paying attention for the wind, even hunting with a rifle. Um, because <laughs> it it was basically this one farm that I hunt the deer come out of another neighboring property and into our field to feed at night and you would sometimes you'd have maybe 15 20 deer come out with plenty of time left for shooting and then other nights you might see absolutely nothing and we just contributed it to oh well maybe they're not they're not coming out to feed in this field every night there's plenty of ag in the area i mean they can go they can go wherever they want but like i said maybe five six years ago i started uh actually started with the hunt stand app because it showed wind direction um and kind of where your scent cone where your scent was blowing 
generally speaking, obviously each area is different, but um, the general wind direction for where you wanted to hunt for the day was shown on the app. And I it didn't take me very long to figure out that when our wind was blowing into that neighboring woods, maybe you would see a handful of deer come out, depending if they could, if your wind kind of just was marginal. But when that wind was blowing dead into the woods, they were not coming out. And it did not matter how much scent control I would spray, how many times I'd wash my clothes before I went out. When the wind was blowing that direction, they did not feel comfortable coming out in that field while we were there. And sure enough, whenever the wind is opposite, we see it on a deer. So I think wind direction plays way more of a factor than your average hunter thinks. I I completely agree with that. I think of a lot of situations where I I know I've screwed up in the past or I've sat good areas and didn't see deer because I either over hunted, hunted them or just went in and hunted them on the wrong wind. Um, like, uh, for example, Tyler and I used to have access to some, some private land up by state college. And, uh, I can think of a lot of instances where I think we would have been a lot more successful on that property if we didn't always hunt the same two to three stands. And we probably overhunted them in all honesty. And we normally saw deer, but they became accustomed to where we hunted and kind of learned that if they stayed like 60, 70 yards out, they were safe. And I think we could have done a lot more to be more successful on that property. Yeah, that's it's ironic that you said that because I've been thinking about that all the time. When we originally got access to that property, there was a stand at the bottom of the hill and at the very top of the hill. And we're like, man, we're seeing deer pass in the middle. We better put a stand in the middle. We did. And I shot a deer out of there. Um, we both had a chance at a buck out of there. But consistently, like nine times out of ten, they were either now crossing above us or below us. Never busting us, never, you know, giving us any indication that they knew we were there physically, but they knew something was different and were switching their trails accordingly. So they, they were completely changing their movements. Like if I sat at the top stand a morning, they crossed in the middle stand. If I sat the middle stand, I'd watch them walk out of range at the top stand. So whether or not that you they you actually see them make a you know a indication to you that they know you're there, clearly they knew something was different. Yeah, right. I, and Derek, I completely Derek, agree. Derek touched on that in uh, one of the last podcasts. How the new kind of the not the new school of hunting, but the the mobile hunter has a much better advantage than the guy that sits the same ladder stand day after day because if you're if you're making an observation and these deer are constantly changing their movements which we know they do just based on one one or two days of hunting pressure i mean that changes everything pretty drastically in some places in this especially in pennsylvania if you're not adapting you you still might shoot a deer if you've got good good spots good access or good luck as well but if you're not adapting to what the deer are doing 
these three days or this week or next week. Like if you're not changing your strategy, you're falling behind potentially. So like you said, I mean, they're, they're changing different trails, whether they get a small whiff of you, but it, they can't pinpoint it or they heard you coming in. So they're using a trail, maybe 50 yards below the last place that they heard you. I mean, being able to adjust is huge in uh, success, especially in archery season. I mean, even on a smaller scale, the, the land that you got us access to, Ryan, I mean, the amount of times where we shift our stand locations by 20 yards, 30 yards, and shoot a deer out of that after watching the deer walk by in that same you know they walked by 40 yards out of range and we move the stand 30 yards closer and then shoot a deer the first sit or the second sit because they're not used to us being there they know where the stands on that property are don't that's one thing i mean don't think deer don't know where you hunt if you have hung stands on a property they know where your stands are they live there like derek said they live there 24 7 365 um we visit there uh for three months out of the year four months out of the year so they have every advantage over us if you think you're going to put up a stand and they're not going to know that it's there if you're leaving it for any period of time you're wrong yeah and that's that's a great example because that's literally a five acre five acre patch of ground and it's thick don't get me wrong but the the movements that we're able to make in there just to change success on something as small as five acres um is huge and that's that's a situation that a lot of people can can uh relate with because they might have access to uh somebody's somebody's piece of woods in back of their house for an archery hunt or they might have maybe three acres in back of their own house that they they have a little patch of woods. Um, but just sticking a stand in the middle of that and saying, well, they they come through here eventually. Well, that does work sometimes, like I said. I mean, being able to adjust and being willing to adjust is going to drastically change your odds of success. My, my dad had a situation last year where he kept having bucks go by one of his pre-hung sets whenever he wasn't there. One of the instances, I think a buck went by his set like an hour after he got out of the tree. And um, he got real frustrated from that. I mean, I can't blame him. I, I'd be frustrated by that too. But I I don't know if he, he caught on to it then or not, but I tried explaining to him that the reason that the deer are doing that is because they know you're not there that day. They know that that stand is empty. Honestly, they're, they can probably see you up in that tree from 200 yards away before you can see them. And they'll adjust whether or not they're going to walk that trail based on whether or not you're in that tree. And that just, to me, that just showed how tuned in the deer are to their surroundings. Um, and to bring it back to trail cameras, that's one of the downsides of trail cameras because he would have never known if he didn't have a trail camera 15 yards from that tree stand where he could see that deer went by every time he wasn't there and really not often when they were when he was in that tree stand yeah that's that, that that's the one downside of trail cameras that like we've what we've just been talking about is 
it's a snippet in time that doesn't tell you everything. Like he thought I should have been there that day. But as you said, if he had been there that day, the deer would not have been there. So we have to, you know, as hunters realize we're capturing a snippet of time. We have to really understand what, what went on that caused that deer to be in that spot at that time. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right there. Um, I think a lot of people forget that we're looking at a, even if you have your camera on video mode, you're looking at a 15 second video of a 20 yard wide by however far out your camera can see, but really you're only probably triggered within 20 yards. So just for the sake of it, I'm going to say you're looking at a, a 20 yard wide by 20 yard long square in a patch of woods. That's who knows how big you're missing so much information with a trail camera. You're just catching a tiny little, little piece of the, you still got to put a lot together. Yeah. That's not to say that trail cameras aren't an integral piece of your, you know, pre-season scouting, I would say. Um, like, I guess you, you could, you could, you know, take some information. Like you said, if you're not hunting it this year, see how that piece of property changes in hunting season with your show camera. But your show camera, I would say, is, is going to be your biggest tool outside of the season. I mean, once you get into season, things should go haywire. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. That's why, like I said, most of my cameras, I end up hanging them over scrapes or near bedding areas. Um, simply because I just want to see the caliber of deer that are in the area. And then I'll do the homework to get back to wherever I need to go to the deer. Uh, and sometimes that's really hard. Like the spot that Ryan was talking about earlier that he checked on this last weekend. Um, that spot, I had a lot of bucks hitting that, that um, scrape and the scrapes on a bench and it's, it's a really good spot. It has a lot of deer go by it, but I was never truly able to hammer down where the bucks were betting because they're, it's big woods of PA. They're so transient. I was able to find a couple buck beds in wintertime scouting, but then I moved out to Iowa. Um, so I was putting pieces of the puzzle together, but on the flip side, because I left my camera on that scrape, I can throw it right now. If you go in there on November 7th or November 8th and sit that scrape all day, you you will see deer number one and number two, you have a decent chance of shooting a buck because those are the two days that that scrape was absolutely torched last year because there was a hot doe in the area. Do you guys typically add anything to your cameras area? Like do you add any drips or products that would attract anything during your preseason or in season scouting using your cameras? I typically don't. Um, I found I've used a couple of different products, none of which I'm going to name because it doesn't matter. Um, but outside of the season, I found that your best bet is to make it seem like you're not there, um, and not give any presence or any hint of your presence. I think the less, the less things you're hanging from the tree the less foreign scent that you're adding to an already existing um either scrape or rub site or even a trail in front of your camera um i think 
in my experience, I've had more success by just letting the deer do their thing and observing that way. Now in season, obviously scents can work um, because the deer senses are heightened. They're looking for, looking for does, looking to mark their area, wondering if there's a foreign, foreign buck in their area. But in my opinion, I try to find active, active sign and minimize my effect on what the deer are still doing themselves. So I, I don't know if Zach completely agrees or um, because I know we've used similar products and different products as well in the past, but I think he probably is leaning my way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I used to use a lot of, uh, I try to use a lot of scents. I'd try setting up mock scrapes and, oh, you know, I'd, I'd put a camera out over a trail and just pick a random bush and, and put a mock scrape under it. And it never did any good. And, and I'm sure I was doing something wrong. Um, cause there's plenty of people out there that have good success with mock scrapes, but for me, I, I agree with Ryan. I much prefer to just, I, I don't even really like if I know I'm putting a camera on a scrape, I don't really want to walk up and check out the scrape. Honestly, I want to leave it alone. I don't want to pee in it myself. I don't want to put any sort of scent in it. Um, I just, want the deer to use it and nothing else i've i've seen on my trail cameras before where i've come in and i've checked a camera and there have been deer on that camera every day for two weeks straight and like regardless of wind direction and then i went in there i checked the camera and then there wasn't a deer on that camera for five days and i've also had instances where i go in there and i check the trail camera and there has been deer on it for you know, again, five days straight, regardless of the wind. And then I check the camera, I, I leave and there's still deer on the camera that night. So I, I think how much scent you can get away with is kind of dependent on how much pressure is in the area and how much deer are you accustomed to people being in the area. But as a general rule of thumb, no, I try and I try and not use any sort of scents or products or anything like that. And I, I'm a little, I'm a little contrary to Ryan here. Where honestly, I don't even use scent in the rut anymore. I, I don't use estrus. I don't use any of that stuff. I, I still do some calling, but I've never had too much luck with that or, um, doe and heat or any of those. Actually, I don't think last year I even used any scent. I might have used a little bit in season, but I've. I mean, I've gotten away from it quite a bit just because also in our part of Pennsylvania, you're not allowed to use um, any real deer urine, deer urine because of uh, CWD area. Uh, we, in my area, we haven't had any positive wild cases, um, but we're still in the management zone due to a deer farm. So it, not to say you can't use and be successful with the synthetic stuff, but it is harder to get it seems it's and there's not as much of a variety of the synthetic stuff as there is companies that are producing real deer urine um, and estrus products but basically since we entered that zone i think four or five years ago i've really put a damper on any sense that i've been using other than maybe a cover scent or um obviously scent killer spray and we can you can go back and forth with 
hundreds of people on whether that works or not. I think it gives me a psychological advantage, but I don't know if it really gives me a physical advantage or not. <laughs> you know, my, my thoughts on scent control is uh, I like the Mark Kenyon thought on it, where Mark Kenyon says, uh, I'm going to keep using scent control because if it buys me an extra five seconds with buck I want to shoot at 20 yards and it takes him five seconds to decipher whether or not I'm a human because I sprayed my boots down and used scent-free detergent that day, it's worth it. And I can't argue with that. It It's not going to stop you from busting you, but it might get you a couple extra seconds. So, Yeah, definitely. And anything we can use to give us an advantage over an animal built to survive is something we need to be doing. I think from a, from a psychological standpoint too, it helps, it helps you be more careful naturally because if you're putting that effort into staying, I guess, undetected, you're going to put that same effort into walking quietly. How are you accessing your stand? Are you hurrying to your stand and sweating or are you taking your time to try to minimize your scent and every, everything around being intentional about your scent control makes you a better hunter in other aspects because you're putting that attention to detail into what you're doing. 100%. On the topic of, uh, you know, we were talking about estrus and deer scents. I did, I did have some luck, you know, here and there on, on estrus. I think two of my three bucks that I've shot came in around an estrus trail that I had laid, whether or not they used it or not. Um, on that same note, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the power of coincidence. I was a huge advocate for Evercom, used it every hunt, and always shot a deer while using it. But when you use it every hunt, it's, it's bound to be that you shoot one while using it. So people really get hooked on these products and everything. But again, you got to wonder at, one, at some point, is that just purely a coincidence? Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, I think there's a couple instances where in my younger days, I I attributed a shot to sense, and I think I mistakenly did so. Like, uh, one that pops out to me is the buck shot when I was 20, which is the second buck I ever shot. And I happened to throw some um, estrus. It was like mid, mid-October, and I put estrus out. Like, why? But... um. I put a little bit of estrus out in mid-October, and uh, I remember the buck came up a hill following a doe and her fawn, and I was like, oh, clearly my estrus scent made him think that she was in heat, and looking back at it, I'm like, there's there's no way that's what actually happened. He was just a young, year-and-a-half-old buck, didn't know any better, and started started getting a little antsy for that time of the year and was just kind of poking around some does and the does happened to lead him down my trail. But I, looking back on it, I really don't think the estrus had anything to do with it. But I do want to say, um, I thought of this when, when Ryan was talking about uh, estrus. Um, I vividly remember one YouTube video. I put out uh, some estrus from a company that we all used to use and they put the deer's name on the bottle that it came from and the deer's name was pumpkin and 
I remember posting that video because I ended up shooting a, a big doe that day. Um, so clearly not the estrus didn't help that, but I shot a big doe that day. And I remember posting the video and some dude got so mad. He's like, I'm reporting you to the game commission for baiting. You can't put out pumpkin scent. Uh, that's against the rules. You need to know what you're doing. And I was like, dude, it's deer estrus. It says estrus on the bottle. Pumpkin is the name of the doe. And I was like a mix of laughing and like, man, this is going to be really weird if I have to explain this to a PGC officer. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah it's, that would be an awkward conversation. But Trust me, take one whiff and you'll know it's not pumpkin scented. Right. <laughs> I'll just add my quick, my quick uh, little input on Evercom. I, I would always put Evercom on the bottom of my boots during rifle season. And as Zach and Tyler know, um, I grew up doing rifle drives with my family. So, like Tyler said, there's a lot of coincidence that goes into hunting, especially during rifle season. So, the fact that I had Evercom on my boots had nothing to do with the 10 deer that came running across the field to me on a drive. Nor, nor did it help to mask my scent because they were not concerned about anything I was doing. So, I mean, <laughs> did it help? Maybe. Probably not. So. Yeah, it's not to say that I won't use, but if you're going to dicks on a desperation hunt and grabbing all the tanks you can from experience, it's not going to help. <laughs> no. So you're telling me you didn't have a 150-inch buck come running in after you sprayed tank 69 in a 20-foot radius all around you? Surprisingly not. <laughs> <laughs> if that would have happened, I mean... That tanks would still be running that video. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so Tyler, um, you said two of the three bucks you were using Astros products. Is there any of them you would definitively say like you're convinced the Astros is what brought that buck in, or no? See that that's 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 where this coincidence things comes back into play. The, my last buck that I shot, the archery buck. I walked an estrus drag up the hill to where it stopped that I could see it and then walked back to my stand and picked it up so I wouldn't lead it to my tree because there's no there's no benefit in it being underneath my tree versus 15 yards in front on the trail. Um, but that trail that I walked it up to the top and back down was a well-known usage trail for the deer to access from the bottom of the mountain to the top so not necessarily say in conclusion that the estrus brought him to me he did walk completely nose to ground on that trail down the mountain uh so he'd probably be the closest one to me saying that the estrus brought him to me but again it was a well-known trail that we knew that they used i didn't we never saw bucks on that trail, really, as far as I remember. Um, but it was a well-known trail that he came down. But again, his nose was to the ground, so he would probably be the closest one that I say uh, the estrus definitely brought him to me. But that makes sense. That sounds like it certainly didn't. Um, I wouldn't say that it didn't do anything based on that description. 
but whether or not that was yeah. like the the seal the deal factor that's kind of yeah exactly was he going to come down that trail regardless maybe did i maybe slow his walk down the mountain or did i maybe make him concentrate a little harder on his walk down the mountain which gave me my opportunity maybe yeah and i i have a similar situation to just add quick i mean i had um one of my buddies from high school we were hunting probably two, like six or eight years ago um and i put uh some fresh scent in a existing scrape and hung a wick from there and the following morning he checked his trail camera and there had been three different buck there now this is like halloween weekend so they're going to be active regardless and this was an existing scrape but the following evening he did get a shot at a nice nine point buck um so whether my my scent kind of elevated things or whether it was just the routine of that Halloween weekend time frame and an existing scrape, you'll never know, but it made it seem like that scent was playing a factor. But it also could have been that six bucks peed in that in the last 48 hours. So my scent really didn't mean anything. But again, you never know. It's another tool that people can put in their tool belt. And if you want to use it and it's legal in your state, whatever you whatever you think gives you an advantage is fair game yeah i'm I'm all for people people should use whatever gives them confidence um that kind of goes back to what you were saying before where a lot of hunting is psychological um and if you think something gives you an advantage who's to say that it doesn't even if the advantage is just confidence i mean confidence is huge in the woods um yeah so at, at just because I, I mean, I don't use sense anymore, but I'm not knocking anybody who does. There's, there's plenty of cases that I've seen at work. Although I will say one thing, there's absolutely no substitute for an actual hot dough. Um, so bringing it all the way back to trail cameras here. Um, some of my historical data is simply to see when does come into heat in a certain area, because if you know that for every year, cause it's, it's, Pretty consistent year after year. The does are going to come into heat within like a three to five day window. That same doe is going to come into heat. Um, if you can capitalize on that, that is that is huge. And no scent is a substitute for the real thing. You know, hundred percent. Down down to it, they know. There's no way they don't know this this difference between a doe that's. 15 yards of firm that's actually hot and the pee that you got shipped from somewhere or bought from somewhere that you sprayed on the ground there's there's they know yeah i don't care how fresh it is i mean a deer's nose is way better than ours a deer's nose is better than a dog's nose and a dog like they say that a dog can smell not just the food that you're cooking but every individual ingredient inside of it so you can't tell me that deer don't smell the the plastic bottle that was used to bottle the estrus, um, you know, whatever other scents happen to be in there, maybe uh, the the machinery or the hay that the deer peed on before the pee circulated down or whatever. You can't tell me that the deer don't smell that. They know what's what's up. Yeah, exactly. 
in, to add to my story before, I believe I shot that buck October 30th because, Zach, you shot your Michigan buck, I think, the next day, October 31st. Yeah, you and my dad both shot bucks October 30th in Pennsylvania, and then I shot mine October 31st, and my dad found his on the 31st. That's right. Yep. And Ryan, I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> all, the, all the years run together, man. I know the one year you shot a buck when I was in Montana. Yep, that's the one that I came down. Yeah, that was the year before that. That was the year before that. Yeah. Yeah, because the year that I shot the buck in Michigan, um, I missed four weeks of Pennsylvania's archery season because I was on a work trip and then came back and had like one day I could hunt archery and then had to wait for rifle and I shot a buck, the opening day rifle. Still my only rifle buck to date. And this, I think it's the smallest rack buck I've shot. I'm pretty sure it's even smaller. Even though it's a five point, it's scores less than the mule deer I shot out in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for uh, joining us, guys. So you uh, heard all our tactics and our strategies and our personal opinions on how we approach uh, scouting, how we approach hunting season, scents, trail cameras. Um, so we appreciate you listening to all that. Uh, like we said earlier, with all this information that you're able to gather, it's, just, it's, it's important to kind of decipher all the information, do what you can to make sense out of it. Um, and just take it all in and try to become a better hunter using whatever strategies that you can and that are legal in your state. So that, that all being said, thanks for listening to another uh, podcast here with On the Move Outdoors. Hope to see you next time. Thanks.